Hello and welcome to Stories in Sports Journalism, the podcast which gathers an insight into what it takes to be a sports journalist. On today's show, we sit down with Nancy Froston, an EFL writer for The Athletic. Now, like, I've been to many FA Cup finals now down at Wembley and that Euros final was just insane to have like 83, 85,000 people there and oh my God, like, you know, this team's not been up, been promoted for 20 years or... You know, this other team's like literally doing everything to avoid relegation. And if they go down, so many people are going to lose their jobs. Welcome to episode two of the Stories in Sports Journalism podcast. I'm Kyle, your host for today's show, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Joe and Jacob. Boys, how are we? Good, very good. Um, yeah, I'm good. Glad to be here. Thanks, Kyle. Excited to speak to someone in the journalism industry. Yeah, very good. Yeah, we'd like to hear that. Like, now you heard in the intro, today we are joined by one of the top journalists in the scene currently. She is the EFL writer for The Athletic. It's Nancy Froston. Nancy, how are you today? Yeah, not bad. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to see you, Nancy, and thank you for, uh, for coming on today. So, um, so to basically kick things off, we like to uh, to break the ice and we've got a question for you. So, Nancy, what are three things that you would take with you to a desert island? <laughs> oh, crikey. Great question. Um, I mean, obviously, number one, I would take a football uh, for uh, <laughs> for entertainment because uh, I play as well. Um, and then other than that, what would I take? What would I take? Things that I can't live without. Um I'd go for I'd go for packet of marshmallows and uh and a good book. Decent. I mean All the choices. Yeah. I'm not getting off the island, clearly, but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um boys, do, you, do any of you want to answer that maybe? Go on, Joe. Um what I take, I'm I'm as stupid as to come. I'd take um obviously some food. Can't uh, can't can't live without food. I don't know what food, just food. Clothes uh, as well. I take yeah, maybe some maybe some uh chocolate melt melted chocolate over the marshmallows. <laughs> uh, we said to uh, Seth that the food's already there though, didn't we? Food and drinks already like included. Oh yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. just realised. Oh, well. Yeah. Um. Right. Well, the food's already there. I don't. I haven't even thought about this. I'll. I'll just say football. Um, some music. Definitely get get the tunes on. And um, <laughs> no pressure, mate. Okay, so you you give us a bird. Collect uh, probably something to to make a fire with, so we can actually cook food. <laughs> um, yeah, that would like be a portable barbecue, maybe. That that would be quite fun. Um, some gold nets if we're to take a football. Yeah. Uh, maybe if it's on a desert island, maybe a fishing rod to pass the time. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Right. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a clue either, to be honest. Uh, but I'll save my answer till the next podcast. <laughs> Give me some time about it. Okay. So um, yeah, we'll dive straight into the podcast uh with the questions. So. 
Nancy, our first question for you is like, where did it all begin with your passion for sport? And uh, do you have your favourite sports or any favourite teams perhaps? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, it's always been football. Um, I'd Like, I will watch any sport on TV, but I think like, yeah, I've, I've always uh, just loved football for the most. I've, I've played kind of a bit of everything coming through school um, and then started uh, playing a football team when I was about nine or ten. Um, and yeah, sort of hooked ever since. Um, so I'm a Southampton fan I'm from down south originally. So it's been a bit of a depressing season. <laughs> but, yeah. um, you know, I originally started going to St Mary's when we were in League One. So I guess I'm not, uh, yeah, not sort of completely out of uh, out of the loop to know what it, it feels like when we were back down there. So <laughs> familiar with the lower leagues, yeah. Yeah, and when did you start to, like, enjoy the, the journalism aspect of it? Like, when did you kind of, like, pick it up a little bit? Um, I think I really sort of got into it properly when I was doing my undergrad at uni. So I didn't do a journalism undergrad. I did uh, I did history and English. Um, but I sort of helped out at the, the student paper in Birmingham. Um, but like before that, I used to um, write up like little match reports for the school newsletter for like the school girls football team. Um, and I probably enjoyed that more than I realised at the time. Um, and Easter, so I like my family weren't my parents aren't into sport at all, so we never had like Sky or BT. So the only thing I used to watch was stuff on the BBC. So it was like match of the day or final score. Um, and I guess that was probably quite good in a way because like I got to watch a lot of Gabby Logan. <laughs> I like always looked up to her. I thought she was really cool. I don't really know if there was, um, you know, a female broadcaster probably on Sky or well BT didn't really exist. I suppose probably when I was at school as a like BT sport anyway um but yeah so I I started writing for the paper in Birmingham and then um probably realized that you could actually make a job out of it just you know quite a big realization um and then from there I uh, went on to do my um my journalism training and my my master's yeah fair enough um so nextly I mean what was the next step after after university after everything you know you got your master's and everything what was after that uh yeah so I, I kind of got to it was probably like this time of year and um I don't know anyone who's been to uni probably realizes that you kind of come up to the end of the course and you're like oh my god like the, the pressure of the summer and not want not wanting to move back home or like whatever because I mean there's not a whole lot going on in Wiltshire where I grew up so um I just started applying for anything and everything um well I was a bit cheesy in sport I wasn't just applying for like local news roles because I'd done a bit of work experience and I think I knew I didn't want to do like general news reporting or whatever um it never sort of grabbed me in the same way so um yeah applied for a couple of jobs um went for a couple of interviews didn't get a couple and then I was quite lucky I um I got a a job as a digital I, forget, I think the, the proper title is like digital uh, football writer at the star in Sheffield um like I'd never I think I'd only been to Sheffield once before maybe before I applied for the job um and I just went for it um and yeah was lucky to get that job and um I was I sort of started I think I had like three weeks off at the end of my course before I started the job and I still hadn't quite finished my dissertation so I was like straight in but I didn't want there to be any gap in some ways so yeah 
didn't want to be sat around for too long and you know waiting for stuff to happen yeah you you mentioned that you did some uh, some work experience how much would you like recommend that to student journalists all over oh massively yeah like it's probably the most important thing you can do because I think when I, I remember when I was going for job interviews and stuff um people were really keen to look for a portfolio um or the first thing they'd ask me would be like especially if it was a name they recognized like I'd done a bit at the BBC I'd done a week at the Guardian a week at 442 they would ask me about that sort of stuff straight away before they'd ask like what um grade I got for my undergrad degree or you know like what I was going on in my personal life or anything like that my other interests like they wanted to know about those sorts of things first and I think if you can get some bylines get some you know clippings printed out or you've got like a snazzy website but I just kind of printed them and put them in a folder um it can really just show that basically you're just ready to start like people are obviously willing to when they take you on like help develop you as a, as a writer and and as a journalist but if you can just show kind of you've already got so much uh you know behind you that they're not gonna have to hold your hand too much I think it goes a long way so I would definitely encourage um people to do it it is a bit of a pain because quite often you have to go to London or it might cost you money to do it which is like madness because you obviously a lot of work experience doesn't pay but um yeah if you can do it then definitely do yeah okay that's great advice yeah so um the next question is um what was your like first big break in the journalism world? It's uh, a good question. I think like in terms of maybe the the type of football reporting that I'd always thought about doing and that most people would recognise um, was when I started to cover games properly um, at Sheffield Wednesday. Um, so one of the Wednesday writers at the Star had left, and um, I don't really think they had kind of the budget at that time of year to replace him. So I just said, oh, like I'll do it. And then as part of that, like I was writing a column for the paper. So like my face was going in the paper next to my column with my opinions, which was a bit mad, you know, the next morning to pick it up and your face is on it. And I was going to press conferences and all that. So like that, that was massive. Like to do that within a year of graduating from uni, um, it's not something that a lot of people get the chance to do. So I'd probably say that. And then, um, but in terms of like a story or something, uh, I would probably say like I got the most attention or like the most um, readers and stuff when I did like a big um, relegation read about all the stuff that had gone on at Sheffield Wednesday when they went down a couple of years ago and it was just mad like everything in it was a bit mad because it was just a crazy couple of years but it was like a couple of years worth of information and stuff and um, a lot of people picked it up and retweeted it and it got quite a lot of traction so probably yeah. Uh, yeah, it was another kind of break in a different way. Yeah, uh, I remember at the start you said that you, you played football and you know football's always been your thing. So I want to ask you about the women's side of things. How inspiring is it for you to see, you know, women's football on the rise, you know, especially after the, the Euros win at Wembley? I think it was last year, was it? I'm pretty certain. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, last summer. Um, it's great, honestly, like, Compared to when I was a kid, like I, I always was interested in women's football, probably primarily because I am, you know, a girl, a woman. Like that was, I cared about men's football because it was everywhere. But um, I was always interested in it. But like I used to have to go and like listen to the women's FA Cup final in the car on the radio, or 
it, it wasn't on TV, stuff like that. And we're not talking like ages ago. I'm only 27. So it was like, I think I was about 14 when I was doing that, like listening to, I don't think we had a radio in the house. So I was going to sit in the car um, and listen to it there because it just wasn't on BBC. Um, whereas now, like I've been to many FA Cup finals now down at Wembley and that Euros final was just insane to have like 80, 85,000 people there. Um, so it's kind of like, I don't know, it's, it's something I can't quite wrap my head around, um, but in a good way, <laughs> because it feels like it's something that everyone's been kind of plugging away at if you're kind of involved in women's football for such a long time. And then now it's finally getting a lot of attention that it's deserved for ages. But um, it's nice to see kind of lots of people suddenly waking up to it as this like similar but very alternative thing to, to men's football. Yeah, I feel like everyone was kind of following the women's team in the in the Euros. It was really great to see. They played at Bramall Lane in the semi-finals, I remember. Um, so in terms of like expanding it a bit more, you know, making it bigger, what in your what in your opinion could be done? Um, yeah, it's a good question because it's kind of um, you know, women's football is a chance to, I guess, do things differently to what's been done in men's football for whatever reason if there's stuff that people don't like about men's football whether it's too commercialized or you know the players are too distant from the fans stuff like that um there's a lot of things that I would keep about the way that it is currently but I just think um you know more investment from sponsors um more investment from clubs without them having to uh think of it as a way of like turning it into a profit basically um I know a lot of a lot of football is about that and a lot of football is about making a loss basically because you know that's the way that a lot of clubs operate but until it gets to a point where you've invested so much um that enough fans are coming that the money's there kind of thing it just there are some teams that are really good at that and kind of giving the the players the profile or letting them use the men's stadium or using them when they launch their kits and stuff like that it's a lot of like basic small things but make a massive difference um if, if this is just that exposure and then you know it all sort of kicks on from there because then people are kind of happier to pay a bit more for a ticket or um you know the, the product's not undervalued then basically so it just kind of relies on a few people being willing to um you know take a bit of a gamble put a bit of money in early and then see where it goes yeah, long may it continue. I mean, I've seen that the the women's Super League games they were they've kind of put them on Sky Sports now. They're being broadcast all all over now. So, yeah, it, it's certainly helping. So, I read one of your uh, your articles about LGBT role models in uh, in football, and uh, you said that it was a little disappointing that you were the only woman in a press box for that specific Sheffield Wednesday game. Um, you know, what would you be your words for inspiration for aspiring female sports journalists, you know, trying to make the, you know, make the scene more, a bit more diverse, just because at the moment it's heavily dominated by straight white males at the moment? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, it is better if you're involved in broadcast journalism, it's better if you go to a Premier League ground, but kind of lower down the leagues. It's not that unusual, like you say, that I'd be the only one there. Um for a number of weeks, not just not just one week. Um, but I guess I'd say like, you know, do take um do take written journalism seriously if it's something that, that people are interested in, particularly if they're from a different background or, you know, they don't think they kind of fit the mold of, of what most football journalists are, are like. Um 
there's loads of opportunities lower down the league. There's loads of opportunities in Britain journalism. It's not kind of the most glamorous thing in the world, but you know, it's worth pursuing and um it can be a lot of fun and it is changing, it's slow, but um it's kind of I don't know, you kind of fit you have to sort of take that weight on yourself a little bit and think, Okay, I'm the only one here today, but actually if I'm not here then there's no one. So it's kind of <laughs> you know, um sometimes you have to think beyond yourself a little bit and um you know, as time goes on, I think more and more people are kind of wanting to get into to football writing and seeing the merits of it. And and like it's not just football writing, but social media stuff and all that it can all mean that you end up in the press box and it just um just shakes things up a bit to give a few different perspectives. So, you know, I'd just say like to people that they might not think that what they've got to say matters or that people will want to hear it, but actually there's a lot of people that really will be willing to give them a chance if, you know, if they're willing to kind of um stick the neck out and uh yeah put the hand up for stuff yeah uh, also touching on your uh you, you know the the lgbtq role models in football article um you mentioned that there's in the women's super league there's a lot of a uh, lot of footballers and coaches who are open about who they are and their sexuality whereas you know in the male side you know it's not as open if at all you know we've got i think three professional players around the world in the males game who are open uh so you know why do you think so many little so little uh, male footballers are open to um you know announcing who they are and what needs to change in your opinion um i think it's it's great to have had those three basically that have come out in the last year or year and a half like considering previous to that it was just in fashion in the 90s so it's like a good 30 years since um since anyone's felt they've been able to do that um I think it's a lot more normalized in women's football which helps uh so it's just you know a lot of players they don't make a big deal of coming out or whatever they've just you know they'll have a partner and you can probably tell from social media but that's maybe the only way that you'd pick up on it or if they mention in an interview but um I think we've just got to make sure that the you know the environment is as supportive as possible and a lot of people um would say that it's it's not a problem in terms of teammates it's not a problem in terms of like staff around the club that's not what people are probably scared of if they're thinking of coming out in the men's game um more often than not it's you know maybe advice they're being given about how it affects sponsorship or um the reaction from fans in the stand so it's a lot of hard work that goes into like um trying to stop some of the chants so a lot lately um to do with like Chelsea and the, the Chelsea rent boy chant which you know people might not be aware that it's kind of interpreted as homophobic or a lot of people might be uncomfortable with that um if they are gay but you know there are a lot of connotations with that um so just about educating people because you know they might just be chanting it because it's something they've chanted for 20 odd years or they might be chanting it because they want it to have that effect on someone knowing the kind of subtext so just about educating people as much as they can um and then kind of supporting those people that have come out I think you're probably more likely to see it happen a bit like like Jake Daniels at Blackpool where it's someone younger in their you know friendship circles or in their life outside of football it's a lot maybe a lot easier or a lot more normalized to come out um so then when they come into a football context it doesn't feel unusual for them to want to share that there as well so I think we'll probably see that more just because generally societal um, attitudes have changed a bit. Yeah, it is. It is unfortunate that uh, 
that you know we're in 2023 and we're still looking at the world like this you know but um we'll move on to back to your career um joining the athletic how did that come about and what is it like working for the athletic yeah it's a good story to be fair but um so I was um I was on holiday at the Women's World Cup in France in 2019 and um Alex who's my editor now he was a sports editor at the times um and he just like followed me on Twitter and then DM'd me and said are you free to take a call and I just assumed it was going to be for like a, a pre-season prediction about Sheffield Wednesday or something to go in the paper because quite often you do various bits for other other websites and papers but um yeah, he kind of told me that um the athletic was launching it was all a bit secret secretive at the time because um I suppose they'd hired quite a lot of people from different organizations and it was making a bit of a wave um because we do we do stuff quite differently um but yeah I didn't really need much persuading because um it it sounded really exciting and it still is uh you know to, to be kind of doing a lot of the stuff that we do we get a lot of time to really tackle some big issues or um you know we work together really really well like we quite often collaborate on stuff we work across audio across video it's quite like versatile compared to some places where maybe you're just quite fixed in your role um so yeah it's amazing and we're kind of getting bigger every day and it's nice to be part of something that's growing and um doing well as opposed to kind of shrinking which is sometimes the problem in in journalism where you kind of get told all the time that a lot of journalism or a lot of parts of it are kind of dying but there is evidence that it's, it's going well in um in a lot of ways and I'd like to think we're part of that. Yeah I'm a subscriber to The Athletic and uh, I really do enjoy some of the articles so I mean are you enjoying the EFL this season you're the EFL writer is it has it been a good year across the divisions or? Yeah yeah no I love it I mean um last year was pretty mental but it feels like it gets you know more competitive or like more extreme every year so um it's getting up to that time of year where kind of even though I don't support any of the clubs normally that I, I'm kind of involved in reporting on like you get quite like drawn into it when you're sat in the stadium and I'm thinking oh my god like you know this team's not been up been promoted for 20 years or you know this other team's like literally doing everything to avoid relegation and if they go down so many people are going to lose their jobs or all these things and it really is like that cut and dry almost in the EFL. If you go down, people are going to lose their jobs and, you know, the football club's going to lose loads of revenue. And if they go up, it can change basically the whole trajectory of, of, of the club. So, um, yeah, I love it. And and just the, just like the, I guess the kind of raw reality of, of it, you know, people are real. You can get to people, you can talk to them, you can find stuff out. Um, more than often they're not they're happy to talk and it's just that kind of um, foundation really where most people fell in love with football probably was in the EFL as opposed to the Premier League unless you grew up only going to Old Trafford or something um, so really it's like I know it's a bit of a cliche to talk about the pyramid or whatever but it like there's a lot of good stuff happening there um, so yeah I, I love it and I'll always kind of push for it and champion it as deserving more and more of uh, the coverage and attention that kind of gets dragged a lot onto the Premier League, I guess. Well, yeah, I'm I'm a Sheffield United fan and I absolutely love it. I think it's uh, so much better than the Premier League. I mean, you look at the the playoff race at the minute, there's about 
I think there's something like eight teams or something fighting for those last two spots. So yeah, it's it's really, really interesting. And also like I think we're like four points clear, two games in hand. And um like you know, I'm still not convinced that we are going to uh going to do it. You know, I've still got that doubt in me. So uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's amazing. I'm fully with you on that. Uh boys, do you have any questions you'd like to ask Nancy? Yeah, I've got got a thousand. I uh, can't get away, but um, <laughs> I, I wanted to ask about um, like the press boxes, like the, obviously, because for me, someone who's obviously studying sports journalism, they look intimidating to say the least. And one thing I would say is um, like the I wanted to ask about like the relationships between journalists and like people people who work for football clubs, i.e., like the managers, because seen recently, uh, James Pierce. Um, obviously had a, you know, an altercation to say the least with with Jurgen Klopp, um, and it was a bit like whether it was tongue in cheek or whether you know Klopp actually, you know, took a took a this this taste towards towards James Pierce. I don't. I just wanted to ask, like, have you ever sort of had a moment where you may have? Because obviously, you want to ask the questions that the fans want to hear, the juicy questions. But then is there a level of respect? Like you want to, you want. The manager to like you do, you? do you not want to ask the big questions, or do you just sort of have to not care what they think of you, and you sort of there to ask the big questions? And what's that like? It can be quite tough, um, especially if you're covering one club all the time, because I guess um, you know it. It would happen to anyone, but managers do take it quite personally when you have to ask the tough questions. I think quite a few of them know that you've got to do it. Um, but also, you know, it can be a bit rough that you, you have to kind of uh, ask why that why things aren't going well when they're in charge of it all, I guess. But um, I think a lot of it comes down to how you ask the questions. Um, obviously, you've got to remember when you're in a press conference, there can be like between five and 50 people, um, maybe well, 50 might be a bit big unless it's a massive cup final or something. But it's not always you that has to ask the tough questions first or you might be asking a follow up or something like that. So unless you're really like a dog with a bone going for a manager, which some journalists really enjoy kind of that confrontational style. Um, yeah, it's it can be tricky. I think when you when you're dealing with a manager every week, particularly over a peri- period of time, you kind of build up their trust and they probably know that you don't like asking those difficult questions. Um when it does get hard and it, and it will get hard at every club you you know every manager and every club you cover um but i guess you use, try and use the good times to build up a rapport with them um and yeah sometimes there's no predicting even if it's a manager you think you get on really well with they might just be on an off day or they might just snap or or whatever um and again you don't have to take that personally because it's hard not to, but quite often they're not really annoyed at you specifically. They're probably just annoyed at their situation or all those other things. And you might turn up for the press conference immediately after that. And I think this is what happened to James, actually. Um, Pop had just read something that he thought James had written, but it wasn't his article at all. So he, you know, got in a bit of a huff, said that, turned up at the next press conference. They were absolutely fine. Um, like There was nothing more than just an off-the-cuff kind of comment in it. And um, I think they kind of cleared the air anyway. They kind of explained that he'd got the wrong end of the stick or whatever. So, um, yeah, it is it is a weird thing, though, because you're never really, even if you think you might get on with the manager really well, you're never there to be their friend or 
whatever I suppose you've got to ask the questions that the fans want you to ask within reason um so yeah that the balance is a hard thing and it takes time to get that yeah yeah I also wanted to ask about like the elements of competition in in the press boxes or the press conferences obviously you're not the only journalist there trying to break the exclusive trying to sort of get the big story and as we spoke to Seth actually on episode one Seth Bennett who's who's you know obviously a great what was it like 23 odd years of experience um, as a journalist worked all over and he was saying about like you know there's, there's, there's like a snaky sort of like element to it where you know someone will happily not ask a question and then just sort of like steal and pick and choose what other other journalists may ask so is, is there like is it like competitive and are you sort of trying to make sure that you know you get your question right and you sort of don't want people like nicking what, what you Sort of thing. Yeah, I think um, it might be different when you get up to the Premier League because there's so many outlets there. But typically, um, I would say like you would talk amongst yourselves and establish like what what embargo you might have on a set of quotes, or you might just say like, "Oh, is it okay if we hold mine till Monday or hold mine till five o'clock or whatever?" So it just depends on communication. It might be a bit more cutthroat. I don't do loads of Premier League ones, but um and, and like T V rights and all that is is kind of a different beast. But um there's probably always gonna be people and I've done it before where, you know, I'm in a press conference, I might not ask a question because the one I wanted to ask someone's asked perfectly already. And that's just down to your style. Some people will literally ask the same question again to get it themselves. Um but like I mean, speaking personally, like if I asked a question and got a good answer, as long as I got it in my piece and maybe got my piece out first, I wouldn't mind someone else using that. Um, press conferences are more of a, I would say, like more of an open forum, like more of a free for all in terms of what people use and when, unless you've established it with them. Whereas like if it was an exclusive interview and someone lifts loads of your quotes and they don't give you the credit, then that's a different matter. Um, so, yeah. I guess it depends like how you want to conduct yourself and how you want to kind of get your wins, I suppose, because there are times where you could be a bit snaky, but I don't know, it wouldn't feel like a win to me to do it that way. Mm, yeah. It's interesting because, like like I said to me, when I see them, and you know, sometimes managers are like, you know, losing games and, and they clearly don't want to, face up to the press and even sometimes the reporter sort of reads that and thinks like I'll just play it safe because you don't because you don't want to like you know get shouted that I suppose but I guess that's that's the nature of the beast and um like you said I guess you're just not um uh, not going to take it personally which leads me on to another question actually um about whether you take how you how you do not take stuff personally should I say like obviously with, with social media um, you know, it's probably so much positive with social media, but, you know, I'm one of these firm believers that it's also got so much negativity and toxicity attached to it. I, just want, I wanted to ask about, like, dealing with, with negativity, you know, because we see it all over, like, even the people who do nothing wrong still get, you know, penalised and the social media can be cruel. So have you ever had to deal with, with like, backlash on social media at all? Yeah, Um so like now I, I'm quite restrictive in how I use Twitter. Like I don't have it on my phone. 
Um, my DMs are closed. I log on. I tweet my article. I come off. I don't really tweet much else apart from that. Um, part of that's down to the luxury of my role. Like if I was covering a club every week, I would have to do like match tweets and stuff, which sometimes can rile people up if you tweet like, oh, I thought, you know, Middlesbrough deserved to win last night against Luton. And you might, you will somehow get hundreds of angry Luton fans telling you you're wrong or the other way around. It's not specific to Luton there, but they just played last night um so yeah I think like I do I do take it personally when it's social media abuse because someone is taking the time out of their day to to be intentionally rude or difficult or um I guess unfair to say say something they wouldn't take wouldn't say to you in public um and so um I kind of don't ever want to become immune to that because it in a way it's just not on to kind of act that way um but I've kind of put the measures in place to um manage it myself and then in terms of stuff from like managers or or players I think um again I think that kind of comes with time once it's happened a couple of times or um yeah you kind of learn to sort of sit with that and think okay are they actually annoyed at me um and is that fair kind of thing or is it more yeah, something that is just out of their control almost, um, that they're not happy with, basically. Um, yeah. Okay, does, does anyone else have any more questions? Yeah, I, I've got a couple. So I was just going off kind of what Joe said. Um, I wanted to know what, like, if there was any, like, different, like, main, like, outstanding differences between working for Sheffield Wednesday and working for the Athletic. Like, is the workload a lot harder? Like, is the environment different? like what's that what's it like now yeah it's um it's definitely a different challenge like to go from um I guess like a local um outlet to like a national um well international um organization so a lot of what I do now is kind of long form um stuff so it's 800 words minimum whereas previously if I was writing something for the paper or the website it would be probably max 500 words and you'd break things up a lot more differently to um, how I do it now and there's a lot of stuff like press conferences where I might use a particular line but I won't write up all like the injury news or anything like that just because it's not the sort of stuff that people come specifically to us for I guess because we're we're asking people to to subscribe so we're not kind of um, you know we're, we're broadening out to do more stuff like that so that the option is there for people but it's not the only thing that we're offering because we know they can get it for free elsewhere basically um so yeah it's more in-depth more uh long form the workload is really different I think it's more uh I guess that the pressure is more like to do everything to a high standard whereas I'm not saying that the standards aren't high if you're in local journalism it's just the demands are different so like you have to turn things around quickly you have to get them online quickly you have to get them in the paper to fill a certain page each day whereas mine might like be over the course of a, a week or something and then it builds to that same pressure moment but it, it might have been a number of days in the making um and again yeah it's just that pressure of doing it so well that um you know people feel they've got value for money which probably was the way it always is meant to be done when you're making someone buy a paper but I think like we had the luxury of starting from scratch and putting a paywall on it, whereas a lot of like local papers launched a website 20 years ago and they maybe now are thinking about charging people for the stuff they do. Um, but it's just that difference in like 
mentality in terms of what you're asking people that are reading it to do uh, and where you're asking them to pay. Thank you. Right, you got any more comments? Uh, no, Joe, do you? Um, I mean, a bit of a, bit of a bonus, sort of a off-topic question. I see uh, you're, a, you're a Taylor Swift fan. A Swiftie. <laughs> What's the... Uh, I, don't go wrong. I'm, I'm, I don't like... I don't mind a bit of Taylor Swift. What's like the... Uh, <laughs> What are the songs that are dominating the playlist? Taylor Swift, Oh, um, well, I first got into Taylor Swift when I was like fourteen. Um, so I'm a a long time uh, fan. You're gonna regret asking me this now. Um, so you know, a bit of fearless Taylor's version. I'm enjoying a lot at the moment. Uh, she's on tour, but she's not like doing UK dates, which is quite stressful because I've been to every single one of her tours since the uh, the red one in 2012. So. Um, when she's been in the UK so I'm you know when she announces that I'm going to be like drop everything I can't file any work I need to be on Ticketmaster trying to get my tickets but um, but yeah I don't know to be fair I do listen to her a lot in the car when I'm driving to games because it could be quite lonely traveling on your own Um, so I listen to that podcast stuff like that where um, yeah just you don't notice the two and a half hour drive up to like Grimsby or Preston or somewhere quite so much when you've got something you like on in the car but uh yeah it's um I'm trying to think I'm sure like a manager at some point has spoken to me about Taylor Swift but I'm trying to think who it was I should remember this but um but yeah it's uh I'm yet to would, find a proper I would, I would imagine uh maybe love stories on, on the wedding <laughs> yeah yeah we had a bit of uh yeah a bit of that Bit of, uh, bit of everything yeah so uh yeah I- i'd like it if it was like someone's promotion song you know in the changing room afterwards if they had a taylor swift song that'd be uh that'd be all right but... <laughs> sweet caroline is still dominating isn't it yeah that's undefeated yeah <laughs> now I-, I would personally say um Bla- blank space that's that's a good song i think um, Classic. yeah obviously you've got uh style that's another one Obviously, shake it off as well. Yeah. So you're big on uh, 1989. They're uh, all off the what same. Oh, what an album! What an album has to be said. Kyle and Jacob, are, are we Swifties or oh, no? <laughs> Yeah, I, I can't say I'm unfortunately. <laughs> I'm not an expert. I'm sorry. <laughs> the music's alright. Just it's not my cup of tea. But fair play. <laughs> Uh, this is the uh, the thing when I'm speaking to players, they're like, "Oh, you know, find something in common." And I'm like, "If I'm speaking to a twenty-seven-year-old lad of the same age of me, I'm pretty sure they probably don't like Taylor Swift." But when I find an, an EFL player who who That's does, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> everyone likes Taylor Swift. They just hide it. They say, "Oh, you know, it's not cool," but you have to just. Be I don't even ask. I should be asking. And then I because they might be there. They might be. Proud to share it, but I've just not raised it. Yeah. <laughs> right, Joe, is that your last question, Jacob? Any more? Or are we done there? Finally, um, take it back to topic. That was a bit off off topic. You um, you play for play for a women's team. How like how how long have you sort of been playing and stuff like that? Yes, I I play for my local team, uh, Belper Belper Town. Uh, in the um, Derbyshire Women's Division One or something, I don't really know the league. I think it's Derbyshire 
anyway, league. Um, but yeah, I've played since I was nine. Um, started off in the boys' teams and then I had to stop when I was 12. I think that was the rule at the time. It was 12, but they've raised it now, like in terms of playing with boys. So then I had to go to a girls' team, which was like a couple of towns over because there weren't enough really in my town to play with so yeah I've played pretty much non-stop ever since um in various different teams wherever I've lived so I love it it's like the best way to meet people if you're not living where you kind of grew up I think or if your job is a bit like mine and kind of remote slash in a different place every week like I you know I sometimes see people that I know but um I never quite know when I'm going to see someone that I've worked with before kind of thing so um it can be a bit nomadic but yeah playing football is a good way of kind of yeah doing that and good way to sort of weirdly even though I'm then thinking about football again on my days off just kind of switch off from work which is good I guess uh well my final question just I guess to round it all off is your final advice for aspiring journalists what is it um it's a good question um so I was, uh, weirdly, I had uh, two things. Um, one was some advice that I gave um, to someone yesterday, which was write down every single contact they ever make and keep it somewhere on a Google spreadsheet, something like that. Or if you've got, want to do it old school, write it down in the address book. Because if you like volunteer at non-league, at like Stocksbridge, Stocksbridge Park Steels or somewhere like that, and you get a phone number, you would be surprised how many times you actually need a contact at a club like that in five years' time, ten years' time. Um, it doesn't have to be because you're writing something about Jamie Vardy because he's made it and had played there. Quite often it can be, um, you know, their, like, manager's gone and got an academy job at Wimbledon or something really random, and then you're writing about a Wimbledon player and you want, you know, you want to speak to them. So, yeah, keep everything... Um, and you know maintain those contacts where you can and then the only other thing is just I guess to, to remember that um and this is something I've, I've stolen from someone else to, who told me this yesterday but um kind of it's always good to remember that a lot of journalism is based on other people's goodwill and then being willing to give you their time or a bit of their expertise or um you know a bit of their patience sometimes um for for very little in exchange so you know you've just got to be careful I think um if you choose to burn any bridges or try not to burn any bridges and all those things because yeah a lot of the time you're ringing people up um and they have a lot going on in their own lives and you're asking for quotes about um you know David McGoldrick or something like actually they've got a lot going on themselves and that might not be their priority but if they're chatting to you then they're kind of doing you a favor and you've got to bear that in mind Okay, uh, boys, do we have anything else, or is that it? No, no, that's, that's yeah, about yeah, I think that's yeah. about it. Really good, uh, really good yeah. chat. Oh, yeah, well, it's thank you. It's a pleasure having you on, Nancy. Thank you. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much, Nancy, for taking the time to speak with us. Um, we'll shout out your Twitter, but um, I think you'll, you'll have probably like a hundred more. F- 100 times more followers than our listeners so uh, <laughs> if there's anyone out there uh, make sure you follow her on twitter at nancy froston uh, thank you to everyone who's listened and of course thanks to my uh, co-host today joe jacob how do we find it yeah i really enjoyed it thank you 
Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love doing these, uh, you know, getting to talk with people who are obviously, you know, steps ahead of many, many steps ahead of where, where we are. And yeah, hope, hopefully that, you know, people can, who want to, who are like us, aspiring journalists can listen and, you know, hopefully learn at least one thing about what it takes to be a sports journal. <laughs> okay, well, uh, so we've got time for so thank you all for listening and we'll see you in episode three bye-bye <laughs>